have a, a treat and a blessing this morning. Uh, I know for you, but also for me, uh, it is a rare opportunity that I uh, get to, to worship with you and um, to listen rather than to speak, as my role most of the time has uh, me here bringing the message to you. But this morning, uh, we have with us, um, as we do every week this time of the year, but in this service, uh, Reverend David Herman and his wife uh, Sharon, who are part of our church family. Uh, David and Sharon attend our, our middle uh, contemporary service. Uh, like many of you, they have their spot. They usually sit back there um, because I, I can know when they're here because I know right where they sit. And um, David has, has preached and shared with us before. He led us through some of our visioning uh, time last year. Many of you have heard David, but just in case you don't and are unfamiliar with him, uh, David is a now-retired United Methodist pastor here in the, the Florida Conference, as well as serving a number of churches over his years in ministry. He uh, was also a district superintendent and then later a um, consultant and coach with, uh, with churches. So he brings a vast array of experience, ministry experience, uh, to, um, to whoever is fortunate enough to, to spend time with him. And I can say I'm one of those who considers myself very fortunate to have, have been blessed by his uh, insight and wisdom and guidance over the, the years as he's been a part of this church family. Uh, my relationship with David goes back much further, as I think I probably shared the last time he was here, but my first memory of meeting David is when, as about at the age of about 22, 23, when I first came before what's known as the um, Conference Board of Ministry, which is a board of pastors and lay leaders, about 40 of them, that uh, determine your future when you are a young ministry candidate. And um, so I said to you last time, um, you can either credit or blame him for the fact that I'm um, your pastor. But uh, so, so years ago, and, and he and my father um, were ministry, our ministry uh, contemporaries. And, um, and so anyway, that's enough. It is a privilege to have him with us this morning. Uh, I know you'll be blessed. I know I'm going to be blessed. And so I'm going to get out of the way and invite Reverend David Herman to bring our message this morning. Okay, is our microphone working? It is. All right. All that being said, I know exactly what you did. You opened the bulletin, and you didn't see Chris's name, and you went, darn. Because, you know, now that I'm, now I'm part of you, I understand what that's like. You look at the bulletin and see what's going to happen, and you always hope that you're going to go home today. And if you can do this, we've had a successful time. All I hope for you is that when you're going home, you say, I feel like I've been in church today. You can do that. We're good. All right. This prayer, this prayer we're going to begin with is you praying for me. In the end, maybe I'll pray for you, but you pray for me now. And hear what I say to God, because what I'm saying to God is from here. Lord, were these words that I speak, where they are part of your will, part of your word, plant them as a seed and help them to grow. And where they are not part of your word or will, let them be a dry leaf to be blown away in the wind, that no one will remember them. In the strong name of Jesus, let it be. 
Amen. Picture for a moment a sloping hillside as part of a small mountain. It overlooks the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has come together with a multitude, and he preaches a very famous sermon there. And we all know it, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. Great moment. But what we sometimes fail to note is that somewhere in that gathering, Jesus takes his disciples aside. We tend to put the two events together and assume he took the whole crowd aside. He didn't. He took the disciples aside and he sat down. Because when a rabbi was going to teach something profound, he sat. So really, every Sunday morning, Chris, you should sit. (laughs) But we won't make you. And he sat down and he began, as the Word of God says, to teach them. And he spoke to them what I think are probably the most revolutionary spiritual words ever spoken on this planet. He spoke from his heart to their heart and he showed them what it meant to be spiritual. And those words come back to be part of our tradition and our life and I think you could probably spend a year on those words and you could probably spend three months on this one sentence because if you get this one sentence right that Jesus teaches, it will springboard you into a sense of what it means to be a disciple of the living Christ. And Jesus said to his disciples, to the disciples, the little students under instruction, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Ponder it for a moment. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, are the pure, the unmixed heart, those whose wellspring of emotion and spirituality are just flowing with purity, unmixedness. Because when that happens, everywhere you look, you will see God. And that's a blessing. Understand that. Hold that. Embrace that. Live that. And your whole spiritual life becomes rich. You are spiritually prosperous so as to be envied. You are blessed. Now, what does it mean to see? There are some people who will say to you that seeing is believing. I differ. I think believing is seeing. And when we believe, we truly, truly see. There are some who will tell you that it is good for a person, a church, or anyone else to have an opinion and that we should be governed by opinions that lead to decisions because That's democratic, and we put that in the church. What's your opinion? Let's make a decision. But how does that stand up against seeing God? So I believe that it is about a vision that leads to a discernment 
in which we see God and we say, it doesn't matter what my opinion is and it doesn't matter what my decision is, it matters what God wants of me. Because believing is seeing. And with heart vision, with heart vision, we find our vision, we find our discernment, and we see God. We see God. So, a little ways around the coast from where that teaching happened, two people were going to have to encounter God if they were going to live. It's that serious. Two people. Word came out that Jesus was returning to his town, Capernaum. He returned there, and there is one. His name is Jairus. Jairus. He's a leader. He's significant. And he has a 12-year-old daughter, and his 12-year-old daughter is dying. And if you want to be motivated as a father, be motivated by that. Your, your little girl is dying, and Jairus is on a mission to find God. And he, he has a sense of, of the vision of what he's supposed to do. The vision holds him, embraces him. He knows he must go and find Jesus. If he finds Jesus, he will find the living, saving God that he needs desperately for his daughter. And so he makes his way to where Jesus is going to be. The Bible says simply that Jairus falls down like a slave before Jesus and pleads with him, come to my house. And Jesus needs little persuasion to go, and he sets his eyes and his heart to go to Jairus' house. And so they're on their way, and that's the track. Now remember, if it had been an opinion, would he have gone? Or would, he, would you leave a dying little girl on the strength of an opinion? Would, would you do that? Would that be your decision? It has to be something stronger. Jairus has a vision, a vision that God is to be found. And that vision leads him into the strong discernment that only Jesus can help. And he leaves a dying little girl to rush to Jesus. And Jesus is coming with Jairus. The crowd is with them. It's a big crowd. The disciples are all around. It's a, it's a huge crowd. Now, there's another person that also is coming. We, we have no idea of what her name is. But all we know about her is that she also is dying. She is slowly bleeding to death. She's been bleeding for 12 years, the same length of time as Jairus' daughter. And she also is making her way to Jesus because she also has a heart sight, a vision, an understanding that if she can but get close to Jesus, something will happen. I don't think that she moved quite as rapidly as Jairus. I, I don't think she had the strength. I think... There was also a time in, in that pilgrimage where she might even have been crawling. She, she was trying desperately to get to God because believing is seeing. And she believed. She had heart vision. She had heart sight. She believed that if she could only somehow touch him, just touch him, that she would find life if she could touch him. Jairus is coming with the mob and the crowd and the disciples. The woman is moving, perhaps crawling, and at some point there's an intersection. There, 
seems to be in faith many intersections, and she had hers. And Jesus is coming by, and she says to herself, I, I have to touch him. But if I said to you, here is the living God, the Son of God, the presence of God, the tabernacling with us God, and I say to you, touch him, where would you touch him? Well, where would, would you be so bold as to touch his face? Would you reach out and grab his hand? What would you do? And, and the woman reaches out, and, and, and we're told in Scripture that, that she touched a fringe, a hem. That, that's powerful, but, but it's not quite enough, you see, because Jesus, as a, as a devout spiritual person, wore a prayer shawl, and, and it had beads and threads attached to the corners of it, and on one of those corners, there was a leather box. Now, I want you to picture just a leather box. In that, in that leather box, that little leather box, there was a rolled-up scroll, and it had a writing on it. Now, if I say to you that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, is probably one of the cornerstones of all Scripture. Then there is another cornerstone. It is the great cornerstone of the Hebrew faith. It is what the centerpiece of the Old Testament stands on. When she reached out and she touched what is called the Shema, she touched the Shema of the hem on his, his garment. Inside that, that little box, that Shema, is these words. Hear, O Israel, behold, behold, the Lord your God. Lord your God is one. It is the deathbed prayer of every devout Jew. It is the heart of Judaism. It is the shema, the shame. And she, I believe, touched that. She touched God. And immediately the Bible says she was healed. Immediately, strength came into her. Immediately, she could stand. She felt whole. She felt pure. She felt unmixed. She was alive. And something remarkable happens. Jesus stops. He just stops. And he says, who touched me? For I perceive power has gone out from me. And good old Simon Peter, you can always count on Simon Peter. He said, there is just a whole bunch of people around you, Lord. Any one of them could have bumped you, nudged you, pushed you. What the, what are you saying who touched you? I, oh my, aren't we so much like Simon Peter? And Jesus said, no, someone has touched me because power has come out from me. And the woman testified that it was her. And Jesus said to her, your faith has made you whole. Be anointed with peace. Wouldn't you like Jesus to say that to you today? Your faith has made you whole. Be anointed with peace. Be filled with peace. And in the moment while he was still speaking, a servant comes up. And the servant rushes up to Jairus and says to him, you can stop bothering the master. Your daughter's dead. Now, how would you like that to be said to you on a public street? You can stop bothering the master. Your daughter's dead. What, what would Jairus have felt? How could he have even stood? And in that moment, in that, in that moment, Jesus turns to him and says, do not be afraid, only believe. Believing 
is seen. Do not be afraid, only believe. And they go back to his house, and there are the mourners out. Now, I don't know how many of you would like to audition for the job of professional mourner, but in the time of Jesus, some of them sang and beat drums and made loud noises, and some of them wailed, and they got paid for doing it, and it was their job, professional mourners. And when they came, Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just asleep, and they laughed at him. It was a joke. They knew what death was. They were professional. They knew what death was. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Heart sight. Jairus, do you have heart sight? Because if you've got heart sight, God's going to do something. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when you see God, you see him doing. You see God acting. You see God in the midst of things. And they went into the house. A few disciples, a father and a mother. And Jesus went to the bed of what to them was a dead little girl. And he touched death. Now I want you to know the importance of that because a rabbi who touches death, who touches a dead person, is not allowed to enter the temple. He is defiled by death and must go through a purification. And Jesus touched death. But when Jesus touches death, death becomes life. Little girl, be arising. And she sat up, and he gave her to her mother and father and did something you might find strange. He said, give her something to eat. It's not because 12-year-olds are always hungry. It's because ghosts don't eat, but living people do. Give her something to eat. She's not dead. She lives. So, think about it. Heart sight. If Jairus had an opinion, he wouldn't have gone. If the woman had had an opinion, she wouldn't have crawled. The girl would have been dead. The woman would have been dead. The family would have been crushed. But... Jairus and the woman had vision, heart sight, and the miracle happened. You remember the back text to this? Some of you may have been thinking about it. If I say to you it takes a vision, I also would remind you of this. What does the Old Testament say? Without a vision, a people perish. Without vision, we die, but with heart sight. We see the living God, and we live. Now let me make this, well, it can't be contemporary because I was 19 when it happened, so it's been a while. Found myself in a bus station in Pittsburgh. Now I want to tell you, if you've got to be somewhere, a bus station in Pittsburgh shouldn't be on your top five places. <laughs> but I was in a bus station in Pittsburgh. Now here's the other piece of the story. 
I had been invited to preach in my home church. It was to be my second sermon that I had ever preached. I had ruled out about half of the Bible and was working on the other half as what would make a good sermon. I had no idea what I was going to say. The steel mill had given me the weekend off because they figured I needed time to prepare, so I had a good boss. And then a friend called and said, I'm passing through from the north, going back to West Virginia. The bus is going to be delayed. Could you come and spend some time with me? Because I don't want to sit in a bus station by myself. And I thought, well, you can think about this sermon in a bus station as good as at home. Why not go? So I went. I have no idea how I got there. I am directionally impaired. Sharon takes me everywhere I go. She tells me how to get there. Somehow I got to a bus station, and I was sitting there. And being type A, I got there early. And so I was there early. I was there very early because I figured I'd get lost and I needed time to find my way. And so I found my way into a bus station, got there. I'm in the bus station and I'm sitting. Well, I decided that I was going to use this good time that I had to good use and I was going to plan my sermon. And so I went and found a corner seat back. You know how bus stations are. They face each other. These benches face each other. I found one didn't have anybody there. There was nobody around me. I had space. I could sit and think. And besides, I didn't know if I really wanted to get too close to some of the folks in that bus station. But in any case, I got back in my little corner and I started to think about what I was going to preach about and I had no thoughts. I mean to tell you, I was brain dead. I, I thought, oh my, tomorrow is going to, and by the way, this was Saturday, tomorrow is going to be a bad day for a lot of folks and me too. So I sat there. Well, you know, if, if you can't think about what you're supposed to do, the least you can do is look around and watch people. I've always liked to watch people, so I'll, I'll just sit there. I'll be a people watcher. And that's when I saw him. It was a blind man. He, he came somewhere, and I, I didn't see where he entered from, but somehow he was in the bus station. It was a pretty big bus station. So I was watching him, and, you know, and, and, you know even to a 19-year-old, it was pretty obvious that this man was blind because he, he was moving with, with, with his, his cane, kind of feeling his way, and... And I watched him, and I watched him as he came through, and, and, and uh, confession, I said, dear God, don't let him sit next to me. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'll do. Just, you know, let him, let him sit. And the man's going through the bus station. There, there were empty seats. There were a lot of empty seats. He passed by that one. He passed by this one. He passed by the next one. He kept passing empty seats. I'm thinking to myself, where's he going? You know, because I'm back in the furthest reaches. I've gotten my hiding place here. Well, he made his way through the bus station, and the next thing I know, I look up, and closer than you are was where he was. He sat down right. He didn't sit on this side of it. He didn't sit on this. He sat directly across from me, and his sightless eyes were on me. I had no idea. I don't remember what he said at first. All I know is we began to talk a little bit, and I mumbled this statement. Would you do it? It must, it must be the hardest thing of life not to be able to see, to be blind, to have your eyes not to be able to see. And this is what he said. He said, oh, that's not hard. That's not hard. The hardest thing in life is to be blind your heart. For if you are blind in your heart, you will never see God. 
there was a, an announcement. I thought it meant that my friend's bus was arriving, and I looked up to see. And when I looked back, he wasn't there. I looked all through the bus station. I mean, a blind man can't walk very fast. And he wasn't there. Nowhere to be found. He was gone. Well, my friend came, and we visited and had lunch. And the next day, preaching in my home church, and not knowing what I was supposed to do, I simply told them, about a blind man and how he had shared God. And I wish I could tell you what I preached on that day and what I said that day other than about the blind man and telling the story. But you need to know this. You really need to know this. That in the midst of talking about heart sight, and telling the story of a bus station, we talked about who wanted to have a pure heart, who wanted to see God that day, who wanted to share with God their life, that God might take their life and bless it, and who wanted Jesus in their heart. You know, a lot of folks kind of do things. But as I shared that story and talked about a blind man, I looked at the altar to see some folks who had come because they wanted heart sight. They wanted to see Jesus. And one of them one of them was my father. I asked him later, Dad, it's never been you. What happened? He said, you know, I don't remember a lot of what you said, but when you talked about that blind man, I just saw a light, and I followed it. And I ended up there. And Jesus received me. Blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Because seeing is not believing, believing, believing is seeing. Pure in heart, see God and have the vision to know that God is here. Would you pray with me?
Lord, these are your children. These are your people. And this is your church. And Lord, where there is someone who perhaps has been seeking but not believing, or where there is someone like Jairus whose heart is breaking for another, where there is someone like the woman who is simply crawling towards you, then Lord, let your Holy Spirit come with that freshness that brings the purity of heart. May those of us who gather here to worship embrace that heart sight and confess before the whole world that everywhere we look, when we look through the heart of Jesus, we just see you. And we praise you and we give you thanks for you are the God who gives our heart eyes to see, faith to believe, and life to live. In the strong name of Jesus, anoint us, hold us, inspire us. And we give you thanks. God of sight, God of life.